that on? Hello? Yeah? Great. Sorry. <laughs> okay, let's pop that in there. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you so much for inviting me here again today. Um, always love coming to see you all. And uh, yeah, as Lynn said, it's such a great passage, such a big passage, isn't it? Um, so I was thinking, if we all happy just for us to sit, sit and chat about it, we could be here perhaps till probably next Sunday. Is that all right? Can you hear me? Move it. Move it, move it. Is that better? Hello? Is that better? Yeah? Can you hear? Can everyone hear me? You can hear me at the back. Great. Um, yes, but as I was preparing, um, just this main theme came to me, that God is a big God, and that he's, the direction of travel in the Bible and in our lives is him to us, God to man. Um, I was watching a Walt Disney film the other night, and I don't know whether it's ever struck you that um, the plots are always so similar, aren't they? You've got a really unlikely um, chap who's called to do an impossible mission. And, you know, he's probably the weakest of the bunch. And he has a very strong enemy. There's usually a very nasty storm. Um, and he maybe loses a loved one on the way. But, but by the end, he's wiser, he's stronger, he's more confident, and he completes the mission. And on the way, he's gained remarkable friends. And I thought, well, welcome to the story of the church. <laughs> That's it. Jesus has lived the perfect life, and yet he chose these imperfect disciples, didn't he, uh, to complete this work, to be a witness as his church. And we find them here in our passage, Acts chapter 2, and they're meeting in fear, um, but they are meeting in obedience. Christ had told them to wait, wait for the gift. And they were waiting, but they were fearful. And outside, the Jews were feasting. Um, it was the time of big partying, and I can tell you I've got Jewish blood in me, and Jews know how to party. Um, so it was an unusual bunch of people, and an unusual time that God comes down. And they've just seen Jesus go up, and now God comes down to them. You know, Jesus in his, um, in, at the end of Matthew, Matthew records Jesus saying to his disciples, I want you to go out and make disciples, and I'm never going to leave you, I'm never going to forsake you. And there he is, leaving them forsaking them, going up before their very eyes. But actually, he wasn't leaving them. John 14 helps us to understand what's going on here. Because Jesus had said to his disciples, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to ask the Father to give you another advocate, another one of me, a, a, a representative of me that's going to be with you. And it's going to be my Holy Spirit. So we, guys, have got two advocates. We've got Jesus in heaven interceding for us. And we have God, the Holy Spirit, within our life. Isn't that amazing? That is such good news, isn't it? That basically God's got it covered. God has got it covered. Um, and so Jesus in heaven interceding, Holy Spirit coming down to bring us this advocacy, this comfort and counsel 
And actually, I think the best, you know, a counsellor can seem a little bit distant um, and a comforter can seem a bit maybe sloppy, but actually the Holy Spirit is, is almost like a forever friend. They're just absolutely there for us in every way. So as I was thinking uh, of these big truths, um, just three things came to mind. Are we working here? Yeah, Acts 2, right. And my thoughts were God in history. Is that happening? No. God in history. It's his story. God in his Holy Spirit and God in the human heart. God in history. It is his story. And he unveils the next bit of the journey, the next bit of the story, as we need to know it. Jesus himself had been totally in control of his timeline, hadn't he? He had chosen when to go public in ministry. He chose when to go to Jerusalem. He chose when to die and be resurrected. And now we see God's timing even in establishing his church. This verse 1, we're told, is Pentecost. And we're told in verse 1, Luke says Pentecost, the time when Pentecost had fully come. I love that. Fully come. God is a fully God person, a fully coming person. God. He knows when to come. All the nations were represented in Jerusalem, that Pentecost. And Pentecost was 50 days after, after Passover. So 50 days. It was a time when the Jews celebrated bringing in the first fruits of the harvest. But it had deeper echoes because it reminded the Jewish people that God had brought them out of slavery, out of Egypt, taking them through the Red Sea, and 50 days later, they were at Mount Sinai. And we know what happens there. God gives Moses his written law on tablets of stone. So this Pentecost was a time to remember God giving his people the way of life by which they must now carry out God's purposes. God was instructing us how to live out his purposes. And that was 50 days after coming out of Egypt. And now we're in Pentecost, and it's just like Moses had gone up Mount Sinai and had come down with the written law. So Jesus has gone up to heaven and come down, not with the written law carved on stone, but with himself dynamically dwelling in our hearts and minds. Isn't that amazing? God's timing, God's truth. Pentecost was the right time to establish his church, his bride, because the nations had come and they were ready for a party and they got revival. Well, how is that important to us? We want to lay scripture alongside our own lives, don't we? And we want to see how God is speaking to us and our church. And I was thinking, you know, we worship the same God, the God of history. And he's going to come to us at the right time. And he's going to empower us in the ways we need it. We can be confident if we're cooperating with God. Not before him, not after him. But let's surrender our timetable to God. Even if it doesn't make any sense to us. 
He drew the nations and he was about to do something big and something new. God in your history. Well, God in his Holy Spirit. God comes down. We have just celebrated Christmas and I love the, the word that we often um, sing about at Christmas is Emmanuel. God with us. And as I was preparing, I thought, you know, we can sing Emmanuel at Pentecost. God within us. Wow, isn't that amazing? He promised to never leave us, and that promise is fulfilled. God comes down, and when God comes down, things really happen. Look at the change. These men were not schooled. They were not great in languages. These men weren't known for their bravery. They were normal folk, unlikely characters, like me, and I think probably like you too. And yet God chooses to bless them with this gift of himself. They hadn't loved Jesus that well while he'd been on earth, and yet in his grace, he's going to empower them. He takes his three natural phenomena, we read about it, the wind, the fire, and speech. Very natural things, and he supernaturally transforms those who they rest on. This is a reversal of Babel. I was thinking, you know, back in Genesis 11, we have the story of Babel where man seeks to reach up to God, where man wants to seek to establish themselves for eternity, where man wants to take the place of God. And if it wasn't so tragic and evil back in Genesis 11, it would be quite comical because in Genesis we're told that God looks down on man. And actually he comes down to see man's work and he establishes his own work. At Babel, God confuses man's language and the people are scattered. But at Pentecost, God has gathered the nations and the barriers, the linguistic barriers, are dissolved. God is establishing the work, his work, in the church and he comes in the Holy Spirit's power. And even before Babel, we often have this story, don't we, of God coming down in different ways. And right at the start of the Bible, Genesis 1, God comes down, he takes that dust and he forms Adam and he fills Adam with his life-giving spirit. And now some, what, 4,000 years later, God reaches down and he breathes his life-giving spirit to Adam's descendants. And we're now, we're no longer under Adam's curse. God's presence and God's power. Suddenly, the place is filled, we're told. God is getting man's attention. God to man. And it's spectacular. The whole house shakes. The people inside the house shake. And then these tongues of fire, what look, look like tongues of fire, divided tongues come and these normal guys are able to speak languages that they'd never learnt at school. 
Whatever was going on, well, the crowd, we're told, were amazed and confused. And they start asking questions. And Peter, don't we just love Peter? He's just there. He's always just there, isn't he? And we're told, actually, in verse 14, I'd, I'd missed this before, but when I read it again, it says, Peter stands with the 11. They're all standing. They're all talking. Gospel talk. And over the wind, over the crowd, he raises his voice to get their attention. He says, guys, this is not about wine. This is not that they're drunk. It's not about magic. It's not fake. And it's not a mistake. This is the power of God. This is God's witness as to his sovereign rule. Change happens when God comes down. And God wants to come down. He works. He works in the noise of Pentecost. But, you know, he also works in the quietness of a dream or a prayer or maybe a walk in the park. Sometimes the Holy Spirit works in the crowds praising and sometimes he works on an individual situation. Both of them are valid. Don't look for one without the other. Don't say something is lacking if it hasn't got the fire. God establishes and he empowers his people in many ways. He moves mysteriously, both individually and corporately. And because of that, there's no room for pride. You know, we are the unlikely bunch in the story, aren't we, on the journey? There's no room for pride and there's no room for jealousy because the Holy Spirit is a gift. And he is the one, he is the one that brings change, not us. You're offered the gift. Will you take it? Acts 2, God is on the move. It is a book of action, as you've put in your little thing. And it's an outpouring. It's not just a drizzle. This is God outpouring himself. Peter says, guys, this is what God told us would happen back there when Joel was speaking to the nation. All sorts of ages, young and old, men and women, and all nations, not just Israel. I was, I was looking at the passage that Peter was referring to in Joel chapter 2. And the few verses before it are astonishing. And I want to read them to you. Joel writes this. You will praise the name of the Lord your God, who has worked wonders for you. Never again will my people be shamed. Then you will know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God, and that there is no other. Never again will my people be shamed. And afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Isn't that astonishing? Did you hear that? No more shame. God within us. Way back then, God had promised to deal wondrously with us, to reach down and to take away our shame and to live in the midst of us. And that's us. That's for us, guys. That's our blessing. That's a prophecy fulfilled for us. Blessing, outpouring of himself. This is God's lavish love. Spectacular power poured out. Not a drizzle, but a downpour. Three years before Pentecost, God had poured out himself as well. Do you remember when Jesus was being baptized in the Jordan? 
The crowds were there. And Luke says this, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. It was as Jesus was praying at his baptism that the Holy Spirit descends and God speaks. So also the disciples are gathered together, first little church gathering, with one accord in prayer, we're told in Acts chapter 1, and the Holy Spirit descends and God speaks. I wonder if you can testify to the outpouring of God in your life. It's good to testify to each other. I know many of you can. I know for me that just even to stand and speak and to sing in public is God. Believe me. A few years ago, it would have been a wobbly voice and shaky legs. God wants to outpour into your life. And there might be areas that you want that outpouring. You're thirsty. You want, out, you want breakthrough. For God to overshadow your failings and your weaknesses. And always for God to get the glory. Always he gets the glory. And I pray that God brings you into that change in this new year, 2022, that he has promised for you and he has said he's going to go ahead of you. So ask him for it. So we have supernatural help from above, God's presence and God's power. You know, without it, we are hopeless, aren't we? Without the Holy Spirit, a body without breath is a corpse. And a church without the Holy Spirit is dead. Friends, if there's no Holy Spirit, then there's no life, there's no fellowship, there's no understanding, there's no transformation, there's no witness, there's no power. We need you, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. And the good news is that if you're a believer here today, there's no place God's Holy Spirit can't reach, can't empower you with his power, with his purity, with his love, with his protection, with his wisdom. He can reach you anywhere as you open up to him. God's Spirit in you is a life changer. So we have God in his story, history. God in his Holy Spirit. And finally, God in the human heart. We saw so many different reactions, didn't we, in the passage that was read to us so well. Thank you for reading so beautifully. Um, we have the crowds who were amazed, and then they're confused, bewildered, and then a lot of them are cut to the heart. That, that little phrase, cut to the heart. And it wasn't the spectacle. It was like an all-wind, all-fire show, wasn't it? But it wasn't the spectacle that cut them to the heart. What was it that cut them to the heart? It was the message of the cross. That's what cut them to the heart. And Peter says it very clearly. He says, you've crucified God. And in case you didn't hear me in verse 23, I'm going to say it again in verse 36, you've crucified God. Well, that was quite an odd and harsh thing to say to the crowd that day because a lot of them would not have been there 50 days beforehand when Jesus had been crucified. But the first sermon that's preached tells us what we're really like. This is what is going to usher and establish the church. 
Peter tells them the truth about themselves. God wants us to know the truth about ourselves in order for us to live in the truth about his saving love, his grace, and his power for us. And we don't always want to hear the truth, do we? But it is the truth that will set us free. Paul talks about it in Romans 3. He says, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Does that include you and me? Well, it certainly includes me. I have times have thought more of the creation than the creator. Have you? I'm sure you have. We have all at times thought we've known better than God. And we have all probably at times wanted our own way, not God's. So actually in a very real way, we have all crucified Christ. But 20, verse 23 says, this is God's plan. He knew about it. He's not surprised. And this is what brings us hope and forgiveness. Because Jesus has absorbed the wrath of God for me, for you. And so we can have peace with God and we can have peace with each other. Death does not long, no longer has any hold on us. And I was thinking that's an interesting thing about having hold on something. Um, if I had committed a crime and I was sentenced to two years in prison, the prison sentence has a hold on me for two years. But the first day of the third year, I can walk away free, can't I? The prison no longer has a hold. Do you know, Christ has paid the penalty so that the penalty of sin and death has no hold on you. Hallelujah. George Herbert was a 16th century poet, and he wrote about, the, he wrote about this incredible change that Jesus' death and resurrection brings to you if you're a believer. This is what he writes. Once, death was our executioner. It did away with us. But in Christ, death is our gardener. We're planted in the ground, and we're going to grow more permanently and more majestically. Death is hard, isn't it? It was never part of God's plan. And we weep at death, and God weeps at death. Jesus wept at Lazarus's tomb. But Jesus has got the victory. He's given us resurrection hope. And death now is our gardener. Are we as a church speaking this message, this message of the cross, this divine exchange, our selfishness for his grace, our sin for his purity, our rebellion for his obedience, our fickleness for his faithfulness, our weakness for his power? It's always the message. This is always the message. This is the message and it's from heaven to earth, God to man, grace upon grace. Peter is saying, you guys, you have a past, but in Christ, you can have a future. If you hear the message and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. And that verse 38, I'm going to read it again. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God has in his story, in his time, empowered us and spoken to us. And the question is, will you respond? Or have you responded? Some of the crowd were just left amazed, weren't they? Some were beginning to mock and doubt what was going on. Maybe sometimes you feel like 
well, I love the story and I love the idea of it, but I just could never be a Christian because I could never live up to that. Do you know, we're never enough. We're never enough. We're never enough. But he is always more than enough. He's more than enough for us. Without Christ, we can't do it. But we can in Christ because he has completed that work and he has, death now no, no longer has the hold on us. We're covered. And even if you feel like you, have, you want to put it off to another day, that's still a response. You're still not choosing to repent. Don't put it off. Maybe people sometimes, I think, just like to be part of a church, because church is quite a nice thing to be part of, isn't it? Um, apparently, there was a medical research that um, discovered that going to church was really good for your health. And it helps on your investment forms and claims if you, if you were a churchgoer. Because it halved the risk of heart failure, it helped reduce the prospects of TB, cervical cancer, and chronic bronchitis. Obviously, all that singing helps us to clear out the tubes. So church is good for us. But do you know it's more than that, isn't it? It's not a therapy. Church is a radical community of Jesus' disciples, unlikely bunch on a dramatic journey. Weak, but we're filled with God. Church, I was thinking about this, and a while ago I'd, I'd written this, some verses out about the church being God's canvas. The church isn't a gallery where we sort of pin people up. It's a canvas. And I had done this, just this picture, you can see it later if you want, that we're, we're like broken brushes that God uses on the canvas, the church is the canvas and he's displaying his glory. An artist wouldn't choose to use a broken brush. God chooses to, chooses to use us. He paints his glory for the world to see from the church. You looked at Acts chapter one, I think a couple of weeks ago, Acts 1.8 says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. There's two things we're promised there that will happen. We're going to receive God's power, and we're going to be witnesses. You will receive power. You will be my witnesses. God always has a witness however dark the time seems. And it does seem a dark time. And there are many countries who have very hard time. They couldn't meet like this, could they? How blessed we are that we can still. But God will always have his witness. In the Old Testament, Israel was the witness to the nations. And then John the Baptist was the witness to the nation about Jesus being the Messiah. We, the church now, are God's witness. Called to witness once again to the nations. So, God in history, God in his Holy Spirit, God in the human heart. Let's pray our hearts softened so that we can be molded to be the bride of Christ. Transformed, the church of God, transformed to be the bride of Christ. Bought with his blood, the church is precious to God. And we wear his engagement ring because we're told in Ephesians 1 that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So if we're the bride, we have an engagement ring. 
we have the Holy Spirit deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance. And God will grow us. It's God who adds the numbers that day. And I think in verse 41, it said something like 3,000 men and women were added. Probably couldn't fit them all in here today. But God it is who grows his church. God is big. His power is a gift to us so that we can witness. Matthew 16, verse 18 says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. God will build his church. He is building his church. Will you be a part of it? Amen.